Well, do keep that passage open in front of you as we continue our series looking at six steps to loving your church. This is our discipleship series for the year. Uh, and uh, if you're not in a group, um, let me encourage you to jump into a group and enjoy going through the course. Uh, it is a great course produced by Matthias and it is a great blessing to all who take part in it. Let me pray before we look again at these passages and we think about loving the outsider. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word and we pray now that as we look at your word, you would open our hearts and minds that we may see your heart for the outsider. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that uh, and also that you would move us by your spirit to live in accordance with your word. Amen. One of the things I've noticed is that the glasses that we wear affect how we see things. Uh, we know this to be true from a physical point of view. You, know, you take your glasses off and, oh my goodness, and you put them back on again and, oh, I can see again now. But even more so, that's better. They're getting a tangle, don't they? Even more so, when we think about metaphorical glasses, the glasses we wear affect how we see things. So, you've all heard of rose-coloured glasses. Those are those people who look at the world or at other people in an optimistic and positive and cheerful way. And we might say, oh, they've got rose-coloured glasses on. And that changes how they see things. So we recognise this. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of red-coloured glasses. Has anyone heard of red-coloured glasses? Those are the angry glasses, where you look and you see red everywhere. Well, red mist descends, and everything's about conflict, and everyone's against me. Okay, you'll find red-coloured glasses on talkback radio. Uh, where often people are ringing in and they're very, very angry and upset. You think, oh my goodness, oh that poor person, they're, they're seeing everything as something to be angry about. The metaphorical glasses we wear affects how we see people and how we see the world. And in today's passage, Jesus invites us to see people the way he sees people. He invites us to put on his glasses and see them his way. But before we do that, we should actually look at Jesus again and make sure that we've seen him clearly for who he is. Have a look again at verse 35. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Brothers and sisters, when we see Jesus clearly, we see that there is no one like Jesus. He is amazing. As this verse suggests, he is a wise teacher who goes about teaching. And when you read his words, the words of Jesus, you realize he is a teacher without peer. 
as we read his words, we realize the truth of them. They resonate deeply within us. They are in intuitively, we know that what he says is both true and that if we live by his words, we will be blessed and so will others. For Jesus is the most amazing teacher that has ever lived. But we read here that he's also an amazing teacher who backs up his words with amazing actions. You know, you look at the last part of that verse, it's, you could read it so quickly and not realise its importance. Healing every disease and sickness. That is a 100% success rate at healing that is unparalleled in human experience. Uh, not even the world's best doctors in the world's best hospital with the world's best equipment and with the world's best nursing staff to support them are going to achieve even close to that. They'll do their very best and will be very grateful for what they do but they're not going to be 100%. Nowhere near. Jesus is the most amazing miracle worker that has ever walked the face of the earth. Even his enemies recognised he did amazing things. So when we look at Jesus properly, we see how exceptional he is, how unique, how amazing. And friends, let me say that if you're here today or if you're listening online and you haven't had a proper look at Jesus yet, then maybe it's time to do so. Uh, it is a good thing to grab your hands on a copy of the eyewitness testimony about Jesus. That is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And read through it for yourself. Read his words. And the strange thing is that Jesus is objectively the most important person that has ever lived and yet most people have never looked at him properly. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Easily the most important person that has ever lived and yet most people haven't given him a second glance. Friends, don't make that mistake. Make sure you have a look at Jesus and you may well find what others have found throughout the centuries that he is amazing and worthy of trust. That begs an obvious question. What does Jesus see when he looks at us? When he looks at people what are the glasses that he looks with? Well, verse 36 tells us. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks and the words there are, he has compassion on them. 
Compassion is the lens through which Jesus looks at people. Or if you like, you could say he has compassion-coloured glasses. I don't know what colour that would be. My favourite colour is blue, so let me call them blue. Okay? But they're compassion-coloured glasses. When he sees people, he looks through a lens of compassion. And friends, that is great news for us. Because Jesus looks at us with compassion. He sees our lostness and our need, like he sees those people's lostness and need. And he has compassion. He doesn't look at us and go, well, look at those people, they're failures. They should pull up their socks and get going. He doesn't do that. He looks at us and he's moved with compassion. And friends, it is that compassion of Jesus for us that moved him to give his life on the cross for us. To pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven and not face God's judgment on our own. It is compassion that moved Jesus to save us from our greatest need, our own sin. And so as his saved people, we strive to see things like Jesus does. When we look on people, we also ought to see their lostness and need and have compassion for them. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They are lost. And they need to be found by the Lord Jesus. And thankfully they can be found. For when they encounter Jesus, they can put their trust in him and join his flock. And so the passage now shifts in the next verse from Jesus' view of people to the opportunity to help people to find Jesus. Have a look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a whole lot of metaphor going on here as well. And it's Jesus using a metaphor to talk about people finding him and putting their trust in him. And he likens it to a harvest of people. Not of grain, but of people. And it is a way of pointing out the opportunity of helping people to trust Jesus and be saved. And the implication is clear. This harvest is what Jesus' followers should be concerned about. You know, we have been harvested, if you like. We trust in Jesus. We have been saved. We are safely in Jesus' flock. And so now we ought to be praying about the harvest of others and be active in the harvest ourselves. 
And the very fact that Jesus mentions the small number of harvesters shows the imperative that his followers pray and then join in the harvest themselves. Indeed, it's actually the logical conclusion for having compassion on those who are lost without shepherd Jesus. If we have the same glasses as Jesus and see people the same way and have compassion on them as lost people, then what will we want for them? We will want them to be found, of course. Of course that's what we'd want for them. We'd want them to hear the good news of, of Jesus, to trust him, and then to become his sheep. So that they're no longer sheep without a shepherd, but they're sheep in Jesus' flock, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Friends, what is this city of Goulburn famous for? A really big sheep. You can see it there down on the south side near the freeway. You can see all the tourists out the front taking their photos in front of it as you drive past. Goulburn is famous for the really big sheep. But friends, this passage tells us that Goulburn is also a place where there is lots of lost sheep who are without a shepherd. It is the lost sheep city. They need Jesus, the good shepherd. And they will remain lost if they continue to live without Jesus, the good shepherd. So let us pray for the, the lost sheep of Goulburn and its district. Uh, if you need help in doing that, we've come up with these nifty cards called the Nick's Prayer Cards. And they help us to write down names of some lost sheep and reminds us to pray that they would believe in Jesus and also for opportunities to invite them to hear the good news of Jesus. For, of course, one of the key places where people can hear about Jesus is, well, right here in church. We're always on about Jesus here at St. Nick's, aren't we? So where better would you go to find out about Jesus? And where better to invite someone to than here at church to find out about Jesus? So friends, part of loving the outsider, which is what we're looking at today, part of loving the non-Christian, the lost sheep, is to invite them to church so they hear about Jesus. Moved by his compassion, let us pray and invite where we are given the opportunity to do so. And let me say, if you're saying to me, I don't know what a cynic's prayer card is, or, well, I did have one, but I've lost it, that's okay, we have a whole stack of them up the back, and you can grab them on the way out. You can grab a few. Write them down, stick them in your Bible, stick them on your fridge, and pray 
for the lost sheep of Golden. But friends, there's another way to love the outsider. And that was found in our other passage in 1 Corinthians 14. You might like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. And we'll pick things up in verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. 1 Corinthians 14 is a fascinating passage. Unfortunately, we spend a lot of time not dealing with the main point and dealing with modern controversies about tongues. So what we're going to do is set aside the controversies about tongues and talk about his main point, which is that when we speak in church, when we're gathered together as Christians, it ought to be intelligible words that we speak. And his main point, is that what we say ought to be able to be understood by those who are coming in who are new, who are not regularly a part of this church. Otherwise, they won't understand about Jesus and therefore they won't believe and be saved. In fact, as the passage says, they may well look at us and think we're mad. Instead, what he wants us to do is strive to be understood by outsiders, by those just walking in off the street. And we do that by speaking in their language. And friends, that is why we don't hold our church services here at St. Nick's in ancient Greek or in ancient Hebrew. We could do that, but not only would most of us not understand, definitely that someone walking in off the street would go, what is this? And they wouldn't understand. No, Christians throughout the centuries have used the language of the day and the language of the people they're trying to talk to about Jesus rather than force them to learn another language. And that's a really important thing for us to understand. We speak their language. It also means that we do our best to avoid insider language. You know, the jargon that builds up over time in any group of people that spend any amount of time together. Now, why do you have jargon? Well, you have jargon because over time you work out that there's a shorter way of saying something. Indeed, you can even shorten it down to TLAs, three-letter acronyms. And that way you can go and get that message across really fast. And so it's really handy like that, except if you don't know what that particular acronym means, You're lost. It's as if you're speaking another language. 
friends, Anglicanese can be as bewildering as any of the most foreign languages that you could possibly imagine. And we've got to continually work hard at not using Anglicanese, but rather making our language accessible to everyone, or at least as many people as possible. And so, if we have specific terms, we are we're going to do our best to remember to explain what they are. I went worked for a Christian organisation where I joined and they said, and they printed out a sheet, I think it was only one sheet, of acronyms and what they all meant. And they said, we use these because it's fast, but we want you to understand what they are. So here you are. That's Okay. Friends, we were going to try and not use as much jargon as possible. The other thing we are going to try and do is try and make our church as accessible to as many outsiders as possible. For although church is not primarily for the outsider, it's about God's people who are gathered, churching, because we have compassion on the outsider, because we're looking with Jesus' lenses, his glasses, we want to especially care for those who are coming in who might be new or not know what's going on. We want them to understand when they come and they join us. And finally... Part of the words that are universal language that is important wherever you go is the word, words, you're welcome or you're welcome here. And friends, it is really great for us as God's people to be loving and compassionate by warmly welcoming any outsiders. Because by welcoming them, they are A, blessed by that, and B, they'll stay around long enough to hear the good news of Jesus and be blessed by that. And here's the thing about being welcoming of new people. It's far more effective if you guys do it than if I do it. What happens if I go and I welcome someone and I'm nice to someone? They'll think, well, that's nice, but it is his job. He's kind of paid to be nice, isn't he? But if you go and do it, well, you're not paid to be nice at all. It's going to blow them away. It's going to have a big impact. And they're going to feel so loved and blessed by what you do. And you'll be speaking that universal language that says, you're welcome here. Please stay. What a wonderful thing to speak to lost sheep who need the good news of Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us love the outsider to our church. Let us look at them with the same glasses, the same compassion-filled glasses as Jesus. Let us see their lostness and respond 
by helping them to find the good shepherd who can save them. Let us pray for the lost sheep of Goulburn and District. And let us invite, when he gives us the opportunity, to invite them to hear. And when they come, let us speak words that are intelligible and especially those universal words, you're welcome here. That they may hear the good news of Jesus in their own language, trust him and live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our church. We thank you that when you looked at us, in our lostness, that you had mercy and compassion towards us. Thank you for sending us the Lord Jesus. Thank you for that grace that you have shown us. And we pray that you would give us that same compassion-filled glasses that Jesus has. May we love others, and especially the outsider, just like him. And may we pray for them, invite them, speak intelligibly to them and welcome them warmly. And we know that this is beyond our normal abilities and even our desires sometimes. And so we ask that by your spirit you would change us so that we might be like Jesus in this too. And we ask it in his name. Amen.